This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. We welcome Dan Weaver. How you doing, Dan? Fine, Bob. Thanks. How are you? Okay. Dan Weaver writes a local history column for the Amsterdam Recorder. He sells used and rare books online and operates the Bookhound Bookstore on East Main Street in downtown Amsterdam. He's a trustee of the Montgomery County Historical Association and a former president of Historic Amsterdam League. He has just published a booklet called The Willigie Negroes, Sir William Johnson, Sir Peter Warren, and an 18th century free black community in the Mohawk Valley. Where did the Willigie Negroes settle in the 1700s in the Mohawk Valley? Well, they settled on a small uh, patent of land, about 266 acres, directly across from what is now the village of Cranesville, about a mile below the city of Am- where the city of Amsterdam is. Hmm. So it's kind of in the area of where that big stone quarry is located, too, right? Yes. In fact, also the, the, the stone quarry is actually on the original patent, and uh, the, also... Cranesville Block Company, which is the former, it was a power station, power generating plant for the Adirondack Power and Light Company, mm-hmm. is also on, on the former Willoughby patent. Now, such a settlement of free blacks was unusual, I believe. Was it not in colonial America, with, where many of the settlers, or the European, the white settlers, north and south, owned enslaved uh, blacks? Yes. Uh, I mean, and, and the Mohawk Valley was filled with slaves. There were a lot of slaves. Guy Johnson had 19 slaves. Sir William Johnson had 40-some over his lifetime. Now, and of course, the thing is, when we get into Willoughby Negroes, were they really black? Were they really, really Negroes? That's the question that comes up in my book, in the booklet, and that's the question I attempt to answer. In the, and basically what I come to the conclusion is that they were a mixed race, and that the African portion of their ancestry was North African, what was referred to, people who were referred to as Moors in that, in that day and age. Um, but there were quite a few free blacks in New York State, yeah, well, the province of New York, colonial New York mm-hmm. at the time as well. How does the Willoughby story relate to Sir Peter Warren, who was a British admiral, and Warren's relative, Sir William Johnson, uh, who became superintendent of Indian Affairs for the British government in New York State. Well, the Willoughby uh, patent uh, butted up against Peter Warren's 14,000-acre patent, a huge patent of land, which is primarily the town of Florida today. And Peter Warren and William Johnson kind of coveted the Willoughby land patent because Warrensburg, unfortunately, did not have any flat land along the river. It was all hill. I mean, there was some plateau land on the top, which which turned out to be decent farmland, but it didn't have any of those any of the river bottom lands that people wanted, mm-hmm. whereas the Willoughby Patton did. Um, so, Peter Warrens uh, owned a lot of land, but it wasn't the same quality as as some of the land that you know the Dutch had gotten to first. Mm-hmm. Now, Warren was uh, John, uh, um, William Johnson's uncle, was it? Something like that? Yes, he, yes, he was. Yeah. His uncle on his mother's side. Now, 
and so and Johnson's one of his first jobs in the colonies, if you will, is to do this work for Warren. How did Warren and Johnson relate to black people in general? Uh, and maybe you told us about how they relate to the Willoughby Negroes in particular. They were, um, you know, jealous of what they had. Well, they did not relate well to black people. Uh, Sir William Johnson was phenomenal in his relations to Native Americans. He's one of the few white people who seemed to have the ability to deal with Native Americans and attempt to be, for the most part, to be fair with them and to protect them from uh, predatory white people. But his relationship with blacks was totally different, as was Sir Peter Warren's. Peter Warren was a, one of the biggest slave owners in the area, as was uh, William Johnson eventually. They had no interest in free blacks or settling free blacks on, on their property. And we know that when, Pete, uh, when Sir William came to America, one of the items in his inventory was a pair of Negro handcuffs, which meant that he was going to be utilizing slaves and he was concerned about slave rebellions or slaves being recalcitrant. And the, and the handcuffs would be used to to handcuff them. Hmm. So, in in your booklet, you discuss uh, who the Willoughby Negroes were, but you also discuss who they were not. Uh, you say uh, correcting some mistakes made by other historians, right? Um, because I mean, the, every historian makes mistakes, myself included. And and Don Preston, for example, is a great historian, but he he says that the Willoughby Negroes were settled on the land by Warren and Johnson, but uh, there's no evidence of that at all. The evidence is, is actually totally contrary to that, uh, because the Willoughby patent was totally separated from from Warren's land, and the people who were referred to as the Willoughby Negroes by Warren and Johnson had been there since 1689. They'd been there a long time. Wow, 1689. What right. what was the uh, Willoughby Flat Land Patent? Uh, it was a 266-acre uh, land piece of land that was actually given by the Mohawks to two sisters, two closely related women, who married Dutch Dutchmen, and the land was given to them because they were related, you know, to to the to the Mohawks and mm -hmm. uh, it, one of the it was one of the first pieces of land west of Schenectady to be uh, given by the Mohawks to anybody and the Mohawks actually complained that a lot of the land that had been obtained by Dutch settlers was not obtained properly and that it was they had only given them the grass rights the right to take the grass off of it and then the people had taken possession of the land and and built houses on it and so on. Um, now, when you, when you got a land patent, when you, when you made an arrangement to purchase land from Native Americans, you were required to have that approved, generally had to be approved by the governor. And mm -hmm. in the case of the Cateros patent, which was so litigated, it actually eventually was, had, had to be uh, approved by Parliament over in, in Great Britain. So Governor Dongan did approve the transfer of the land the Willoughby land patent from the Mohawks to uh, the two sisters, uh, Hiletti and Leah Van Slyke mm -hmm. were the two sisters. 
Okay. And one married a man named Van Coppernall, and the other married a, a Dutchman named Van Alinda. Mm-hmm. And where the Willoughby Negroes come in is when Van Coppernall decided to sell his portion of the Willoughby patent, the western half, the half uh, closer, uh, the half that bordered on the uh, uh, Warren's land. He decided to sell it to Philip Philipse. Now, Philip Philipse is referred to Philip Philipse the Moor. And he's, and so that's, well, I'm kind of jumping ahead of you here, but that's where the whole concept of the Willoughby Negroes came in. Uh, It appears that Johnson referred to these people who appear to be of North African or Moorish descent and Dutch descent. He referred to them as Negroes. Mm -hmm. Johnson did. Johnson did, yes, and Warren did as well. Um, and the more uh, the African American could have been Philip Philipse. That is my uh, de- my deduction from all the evidence. My conclusion, although it's a conclusion that I would like to see more work done on. Possibly, d- you know, if DNA was done by any of the descendants at some point, I'd be very interested in seeing uh-huh. that to see if if. You know, any Moorish or North African ancestry shows up in in their DNA. Uh, It's basically the process of elimination. There's just no one else that it could be other than the Phillips family. And the fact that they were referred to as Moors indicates that at least they had North, you know, they had some African ancestry. Whether they were black, what their actual color was, is a whole other problem because Moors could be anywhere from. Uh, white to black. But most people at that time did classify Moors and Negroes as one and the same. Hmm. In fact, Shakespeare does in one of his plays. Um, and uh, Samuel Johnson in his great dictionary, one of the mm-hmm. earliest and greatest dictionaries of the English language, he also uh, refers to Moors and, and Negroes as being one and the same. Hmm. Do you know, I mean, of course, I keep asking you these questions, and, and this is really hard stuff to find out. I've, I've heard you mention this before, you know, maybe even about another project you're working on. You know, it's not like you can go to Google and <laughs> look right. it up. But where did they come from? I mean, th- did they come from North Africa, and why did they come here and so on? That's the part that's very difficult to figure out. I mean, it is possible that Philip Philipse was a slave. Uh, at one time to somebody. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, there was another famous Philipse family down in the Hudson Valley who were loyalists during the American Revolution and lost their... And they were very wealthy. Is there a connection between the two families? That's something I haven't been able to determine, haven't gotten into. That's that's another thing that possibly needs to be looked at. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's always possible that Philip Philipse or... Uh, an ancestor of his was a slave because Moors sometimes were slave were enslaved. In fact, uh, there's evidence that Moors were taken to Great Britain by the Romans and and were were Moorish slaves and were taken to Great Britain. And uh, some of them remained behind when the when the Romans left, and they ended up marrying into in in Scotland. They intermarried to the point that they're. African ancestry basically disappeared, which mm-hmm. I think is what happened to the Philipse family as well. Now, 
this may be a case on my part of a little knowledge being a dangerous thing. Isn't not Phillips saying necessarily, but the name Phillips is well known in that part of the Mohawk Valley from I recall it from the Erie Canal days. Didn't they didn't they sure. call the Go ahead. Is that connected to Philip Philipsay, is what I'm asking? Yeah, that's the same family. They just dropped the E off the end of their name and just became Phillips. Uh, Philipsay, with the E on the end, meant in Dutch the son of Philip. And so Philip Philipsay was Philip the son of Philip, I, I guess. Um, but he always had the tacked onto that day more or the more. But eventually the family... And relatively, I'd say at some point in the 17, early 1700s, they dropped the E off the end of the name and just became the Phillips. And then, of course, their, their flat land, the flat part of their, their, um, their land was about 66 acres right on the Mohawk River, and that's right where the Erie Canal came through. Mm-hmm. And it so happened that for whatever reason, when the Erie Canal came through their land, it required two locks only about a thousand or so feet apart and they became known locally as the phillips locks and the phillips built two stores one at each lock and uh you know we're 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 very successful they were successful family anyway farming uh running the stores and so on they became quite prosperous there Mm -hmm. on the willoughby All right, we're talking with uh, Dan Weaver about his uh, new booklet called The Willoughby Negroes, Sir William Johnson, Sir Peter Warren, and an 18th century free black community in the Mohawk Valley. You're listening to the Historian's Podcast. Our Fund Drive campaign is underway for this year. You can uh, donate online, very easy to do. Go to GoFundMe.com forward slash 2019 the historians and make your donation if you want to donate by mail make out a check to me bob cudmore and send to 125 horstman drive scotia new york 12302 thank you very much we're talking with dan weaver about the willoughby negroes a an 18th century free black community in the mohawk valley i haven't asked what 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 is this word? Um, what, what does Willoughby mean? I mean, it's a is it a Dutch word? Yes, it's a Dutch word that refers to willow trees, and that area apparently was noted for its for its willow trees. And there was a creek that ran, and still is. There's a creek that runs down through the property, and it was always, it was called the the uh, Cowilliga. It runs under very various names but they all refer to willows. For some reason now it's called the Terwilliger Creek. In the last, I'd say, less than 100 years, it became called the Terwilliger Creek. Why? I have no idea whether that somehow a word got uh, messed up. Mm-hmm. But the creek that came down there was always known as the, the Cowilliger or Williger Creek, and apparently it had to do with willow trees being there. Aside from... What Sir William Johnson wrote about the Willoughby Negroes, were there other, I mean, have you found other references to them, maybe in a somewhat later time frame? I mean, were they there at the time of the Revolution and so on? They were there. There's no other references to the word Willoughby Negroes other than in Johnson's letters and in uh, Warren's letters. But the Phillips family 
which from my research it appears to be who they were referring to, continued to live on the Willoughby Patton well into the 1900s. Uh, some of them were involved in the American Revolution. They continued to marry into Dutch families and English families so that over time they, the idea that they were had North African ancestry or any kind of African ancestry or would have been considered Negroes or what have you or black people, that just disappeared over time because you know, as each generation intermarried with local white mm-hmm. people or mm-hmm. people of European ancestry, that, you know, they they became lighter and lighter, you might say. Yeah. Um, and actually became slave owners themselves huh. of, of, black, of blacks. Now, Ancestry.com is a big website now, and a lot of people are into genealogy. I wonder if anybody has turned up information... You know, like genealogists have come up with information that might be helpful to figuring out more on this story. Well, it's interesting because today, for the first time, I had a person on a Facebook page say that they were a descendant of Philip Philipse, and they just had their DNA done. So I asked the person, did you find any North African ancestry and of course i'm waiting i'm waiting now very excited to hear back from them to hear what they have to say you know uh as far as i've never not approached the phillips family i mean there's still phillips family descendants living in the town of florida but i you know i I don't real feel real comfortable about approaching people (laughs) asking them what their dna is it seems kind of invasive of privacy but this this person uh Volunteered the information, so I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that, that that I hear back from them. And maybe you said, but what what is the basis for the idea that the that Philip Phillipsy or that the Willoughby Negroes were from North Africa were quote unquote Moors? Well, uh, because Philip Phillipsy was no, he was referred to as Philip Phillipsy the Moor. Mm. That was his name, and now, <clears throat> uh, furthermore. Um, it gets a little confusing, but as you know, Johnson decided, and rightly so, that his uncle had bought on the wrong side of the river. Mm-hmm. And so Johnson bought land on the north side of the river and eventually would build uh, Old Fort Johnson there and so on. Mm-hmm. Well, he references his nearest neighbors on the north side of the river. And I found a map from the 1700s. Well, let me go back up a little. He references his nearest neighbors on the north side of the river. Now, we already know his nearest neighbors on the south side of the river are the Philipsay family, which he refers to as the Willoughby Negroes, and their descendants of Philip Philipsay the Moor. Now, he, he, in a letter, he references his nearest neighbors on the north side of the river and refers to them as brothers of the Moors. In, in a letter, and then you look at a map from the period, and his nearest neighbor, the last name is Philipse. Huh. So you have Philipse's next to him on the north side of the river and the south side of the river, and he re- he's referring to them as Moors, and he's referring to them as Negroes. Uh, where can people buy the book? How much does it cost and so forth? It's twelve ninety nine. Um, I, I wanted to keep it a little cheaper, but I ended up having to use some color because, because of the maps inside of it. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get it at on Amazon. You can order on Amazon.com, and it will be available at the Bookhound. It's supposed to arrive today, so it should be available at the Bookhound in Amsterdam starting tomorrow. Okay. And I believe uh, Fort Plain Museum is going to be carrying it, and I'm not sure what other local mm-hmm. places might be carrying it. Poss- possibly, I haven't talked to them yet, but possibly and probably Old Fort Johnson. We're talking with Dan Weaver. His uh, book or booklet is uh, called The Willoughby Negroes, Sir William Johnson, Sir Peter Warren, and an 18th century free black community in the Mohawk Valley. If I could, uh, in the minutes we have left, uh, ask you about some other uh, topics, because, again, you're quite active in historical matters in the Mohawk Valley. You say you're now working on a booklet about Guy Johnson and Guy Park Manor, which is a colonial building in Amsterdam. What is the um, or I don't know what is the origin story of Guy Park Manor? Well, Guy Park Manor was built in 1766. William Johnson gave a piece of his land. It actually was the Huff Patent originally. <clears throat> uh, Henry Huff had two pieces of land that he purchased and were approved. One was on the north side of the river, and became Guy Park, and the other was on the south side of the river and is now the south side of Amsterdam, uh, or originally Port Jackson. Mm-hmm. So the piece on the south side was eventually obtained by Sir William Johnson and, and given to his son-in-law, Guy Johnson, and uh, on it was built a manor house called Guy Park Manor. Mm-hmm. And the 640 uh, acre land. It's referred to as 640, was probably 500 and some acres. That is what is referred to as Guy Park and makes up a big chunk of Amsterdam's, the city of Amsterdam's West End now. Mm-hmm. And it was, a, it was a beautiful structure and a, and it was a, a manor house, meaning that it was a lot like these feudal manor homes over in England. And we know Guy Johnson from his claim for compensation to the Loyalist Commission had 19 slaves, had 15 horses, uh, you know, he had a, a, a carriage, he had, um, many, he had many outbuildings, including a stone barn, a hop house, a pigeon barn, and so on. Mm-hmm. And Guy Johnson, along with the rest of the Johnsons, went to Canada when the revolution took place and, and fought against the patriots uh, in America, if you will. Uh, yes. and, and, the, and anyway, the Guy Park Manor was taken from him, right? Right. It was confiscated by, by New York State. And it's had a bunch of owners over the years and served different functions within my memory, um, including housing the Walter Elwood Museum for a time until the, the big floods of 2011 when it, the building was right. damaged. Um, well, yeah. anyway, I mean, the point I'm getting to is that uh, I, I don't quite know what, how, why it's taken so long, but the state, in the form of the Canal Commission, has been trying to or been rehabilitating the structure. It wasn't destroyed by the flood, but it was just bad. It was badly damaged. And it's not clear what they're going to do with it, but you came up with an interesting idea. Um, there is no loyalist museum in uh, the Mohawk Valley. I mean, maybe we wouldn't want to have that, but I mean, <laughs> I do know that the loyalists who settled in Canada, you know, came left the Mohawk Valley and went to Canada uh, during the revolution 
they're very interesting folks, and they've been coming down to this conference, which the Fort Plain Museum has every year, uh, on the American Revolution in the Mohawk Valley. So maybe that could become a loyalist museum. Well, I, I think, it, you know, I, I did a, did research, and I cannot find a single site, historic site in New York State, devoted to the loyalist story. And I think it's important. I think if you leave out the loyalist story, you're leaving out half the story of the American Revolution, because the American Revolution was a civil war, if nothing else. Uh, Generally, historians say about a third of the people sided with the patriots, a third of the people were loyalists, and a third were kind of like on the fence. So to not have the loyalist story told, especially in New York State, which had one of the highest populations of loyalists, I believe, in, in all the colonies. New York City was a loyalist uh, city throughout the entire revolution. So I think you're missing out on half the story. And many people, loyalists, uh, many loyalists in Canada have roots in the Mohawk Valley. And it's, mm-hmm. it's important to them, but I think it's, it's, I think it's important to us to not ignore that side of the story. Mm-hmm. And you're working on the on the book, but it's you say it'll take a while to get it. And this is where I think I found it in a message you sent that it'll take you a long time because information's hard to come by. It is, and no, and and the thing is, one thing reason I got started on this is there is no comprehensive booklet on Guy Park Manor. I mean, there is a a big fat book on Old Fort Johnson. There's uh, information on, on many other historic sites and historic buildings but there is no there there is no not even a booklet and and probably it wouldn't justify more than a booklet but there isn't a booklet on on the story of guy park guy park manor including its entire history right up to today and also i got interested in doing it because i felt there are some historical inaccuracies that need to be corrected you know some of them are minor for example that the idea that the first Guy Park Manor was was wood made out of wood and burned in 1773. Well, it did burn in 1773, but the only primary source we have that describes Guy Park Manor, the initial Guy Park Manor, was is from 1769 from the diary of Richard Smith of Burlington, New Jersey, who was traveling through the area and and didn't just dry, didn't just go by Guy Park Manor in a boat and look at it. He actually got off and visited with Guy. Guy Johnson, and he describes it as a two-story stone building. Hmm. So there's some things like that that I'd like to correct, and then talk about the other families that owned it, the Henry family, the Bayard family, the McGorks, the Stewarts, and hmm. so on. Yeah. And again, we just have a couple of minutes left. Dan Weaver operates the Book Hound, where he sells used and uh, rare books. And you've come up with something uh, different here. You now reprint uh, public domain historic books. How does that work? Well, I, I, I noticed that there's a lot of people doing this, but I decided to focus just on Mohawk Valley uh, books that are not readily available in book format. Many times you can download these PDFs, and, and but a lot of us don't want to read a book on a Kindle or some other device. We want to actually hold it in our hands. Now, some, book, some books on the Mohawk Valley that are in public domain have been printed. Uh, some have not. Uh, one of the ones I put out it has not been reprinted. And I'm, I'm trying to – I'm getting better at it. I'm trying to produce relatively qualitative versions at a reasonable price. Hmm. So it involves – sometimes it involves scanning a book, 
Other times it involves if you uh, unable to obtain a PDF that's in the public domain and has no restrictions on it. But even that involves uh, reformatting the PDF and doing some work on the PDF to make it printable. Mm-hmm. Well, Dan, we're, again, we're almost out of time now. What, what, do you have a, a general website where people find out about the book hound and your books and so forth? Yes, I do. It's um, www.thebookhound.com. Okay. And the Book Hound physically located on East Main Street in downtown Amsterdam, correct? Correct. 16 East Main Street, downtown Amsterdam. Dan Weaver, author of a booklet called The Willoughby Negroes, Sir William Johnson, Sir Peter Warren, and an 18th century free black community in the Mohawk Valley. Uh, the Book Hound, located on 16 uh, East Main Street in Amsterdam. You've been listening to the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. <laughs>